Welcome to The Razor's Edge, where vision, technology, business, and strategy come together. This podcast series examines IT's new way to provide world-class experiences and is brought to you by CIO.com in partnership with HP. In this series, HP's technology experts will provide you with unique insights into the challenges associated with digital transformation and how innovative cloud-based services, solutions, and software can help you plan and prepare for what lies ahead. And now your host, Leif Olson, Distinguished Technologist with HP. Hello, and welcome back to The Razor's Edge. With me today are my usual cast of characters, and I do mean characters, Bruce Michelson, the owner of Closed Loop LLC, Jeff Malik, the lifecycle subject matter expert at HP, Cody Gerhardt, a distinguished technologist and a chief technologist with HP, and I'm your host, Leif Olson. Today's show will walk us down the path to simplify IT by dealing with groups of people who have similar requirements but may not necessarily do the same job. Sounds a little confusing at first, but it'll make sense by the time we're done. Just think about it this way. A lot of people may like hamburgers in an organization, but Bruce may like White Castle hamburgers. Bruce should not have his own persona, though, just because he likes a specific hamburger. Now, if greater than 10% of the people at the organization like White Castle hamburgers, then maybe that's a persona to consider. Although that's a really silly example, it'll all come together shortly, but Bruce really does like White Castle hamburgers, by the way. Uh, Bruce, I'm going to hand this to you first, since you actually kind of wrote the book on this topic. Um, so go ahead and get us started with answering this question. What is user segmentation and why does it matter? Okay, very good. And quite an analogy, by the way. You had to spend a lot of time thinking about that. But to your point, I'm in my White Castle sweatshirt and my White Castle sneakers right now. Not that uh, that should read anything into it. But uh, early on in my career, believe it or not, um, I, I felt as though in IT, we always were treating different people differently given their roles, given their jobs. Every organization I've ever worked for, executives were always treated differently with a set of entitlements. Same with people who are highly technical like engineers or deck side engineers. So what I fell upon was this whole idea of user segmentation. And I looked at IT and I said, you know what? IT really has five domains that ultimately we need to look at. We need to look at making sure we got the right device for the right use case. So there's the device piece. Everybody's into tiered service level now. One size fits all. Never worked before. And there really wasn't one size fit all because we're all informally kind of doing different things. Different cost proposals or different cost metrics that were out there. And every end user represented a different risk profile. And then, of course, everybody had a different portfolio of applications that they needed to do their job. Hence, the user segmentation methodology was born. And that begat the output, which is actually the personas. And we're going to be talking in, in our uh, wild discourse today with our teammates about what those personas look like. But at the end of the day, what really is occurring right now is with all the changes going on in the marketplace, um, it's all about the end user experience. And because of that, the user segmentation methodology with an output of personas seems to fit that timing really, really well right now. So Leif, I'll throw it back to you, but that's kind of the operational definition that I've uh, developed over the years. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And I, we've 
talked to a lot of organizations together who have implemented this style of persona based on the user segmentation process, and they've had some really good success with that. So that, that's a good starting point on this definition. So Jeff, let me turn it over to you here. If you could give me some examples of the user segmentation process, and what are some of the uh, decision points around the workflow and or work style that may influence how users get grouped. And back to my greater than 10% example, what's the number that we should be looking at before we start creating personas based on groups of people so we don't end up with 100 personas within one organization? Yeah, 100 personas is un completely unmanageable. And Absolutely. Really, the intent here is to, is to divide folks up into between five and seven groups each group should have at least 10% of the population, so they're relevant. And that is not to say that you shouldn't have other subgroups or smaller groups called use cases. And we'll give you some examples. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the reality is, is that you look across commonalities in specific groups so that you can put them into five to seven buckets. One of the key differentiators, and this is becoming more and more and more and more important every single time we talk, is demographics. For the first time in 100 million years, maybe more, maybe less, we have five distinct generations in the workforce. And you know, back to Bruce, you've actually done a considerable work around demographics, how it's impacting IT and how IT should respond. And you call it, dun, 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 Planet Me. Yeah, Planet Me is what we're living around right now, where we used to live that the IT service levels that we provided to end users were based on what we as IT were prepared to deliver. Now it's all end user centric with the end user experience being the number one KPI in the industry today. And what's, what's very interesting about Planet Me is Planet Me is a planet that's shifting right now. As Jeff mentioned, there's five generations in the workforce. Um, alphas are the generation that's going to be coming into the workforce will be the sixth generation in the workforce. But you got five to seven percent, which now represent uh, the uh, uh, Gen Zers. You've got 20, 25 percent, which are millennials. You've got the Gen X, which is about 30 to 35 percent. Baby boomers, which is around 20, 25 percent. And traditionalists, which are around two to four percent. The reason this is important is because what's going to happen by the year 2030 not the Ziggler and Everett Sons 2025, but what's going to happen by 2030 is you're going to see millennials, Gen Z, alphas represent anywhere to 50% or greater. And that's the most technology savvy generation ever in the workforce. So all of the services we provide, the, the devices that we provide, the cost model, the level of automation, all of that is going to change so dramatically that Planet Me is really causing a tidal shift of sorts because of just the way the generations are, are coming together at this moment in time. So not only is one size fits all not the best solution, and I'm not sure it ever really was, but now more than ever, we're in an era of device diversity and tiered service levels. Leif, back to you. Yep. So when I look at my total population within an organization, obviously not everyone is going to fit within a persona. There's always going to be outliers. But what's the target that we're looking for? Are we looking for, you know, 50% to be within personas, 70%, 75, 90? What are we looking at here and why? Well, you just called the quarterback signals for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, uh, sorry. I do audibles. <laughs> sorry about truth, that. Truth be told, uh, user, user segments, personas are going to end up being about the 80% solution. There's always going to be 20% that's going to require a little different configuration, perhaps a tweak. doesn't mean they're not part of the persona. That just means there's probably going to be some level of customization. 
But the, the other part of it is, though, that there's use cases and you never want to dismiss use cases. So the, the context to have is in an organization of 10,000 seats, just as an example, there are probably thousands and thousands of job codes and job descriptions, many of which are freeform. And you think of the hierarchy as uh, user segmentations, methodology, personas are what the roles that are in HR aggregate to, and then they're dis uh, displayed or deployed via profile. Use cases are really important. They're usually not 5% or a small population. The best example I can give you is healthcare. Um, every healthcare organization, shouldn't say everyone, but most of the healthcare organizations might have ambulances. They're not gonna hit the 5% of the overall installed base. Workstations on wheels is another example. They're, they're critically important if you happen to be in healthcare and if you're a patient, but it's not gonna rise to the level of being its own persona in terms of critical mass. So you really do have to do somewhat of the same due diligence for personas and use cases. The whole idea is give me economic groupings that I can officially manage a portfolio rather than each individual end user. That makes a lot of sense. So along that medical example, that's, that's actually a really good example of this. And it is called out in the white paper for those people who do want to follow up and read some of this. Um, let's take it one step further where we have some, kind of these converging personas, though. And how do you make that decision? Um, right now, you know, think about a doctor who's also an executive, because in the medical world, every doc is just two, two uh, levels of contact for the CEO. So most of them are tr ex treated as executives, even though they have roles as clinicians. Should they be categorized as executives or clinicians and why? The reality is there is you look at the highest level of entitlements in that particular persona and then assign that group to that persona. So that way you're not necessarily underserving them and then having to recategorize them later. And then you could tweak the, the actual entitlements across device, service level, cost, risk, and apps. You can tweak that over time for the whole group, but always try to put somebody in the highest level that they qualify for. That way there's little disruption to their overall business needs. Okay. All right. So I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here. Um, this actually sounds like a lot of work for IT to kind of put forth up front. And it's kind of complex, right? How do I know what people's job functions are? Who do I contact within the organizations? What governance bodies do I need to deal with? And how do I make sure that this actually saves me time and money? How does this reduce the amount of work and complexity and not make it worse? And I'll just throw this out in general. Well, let's start with the work and complexity piece, just because we, we line up. All the motions to modern management are actually begging for personas or user segments at this point, because when you assign, and I'll take M365 and autopilot in, in, in consideration, you assign roles to people or work groups to people, and that needs to get done through the work that you do in user segmentation to reveal those personas to then make it easier to implement your modern management. The other side is that people have notoriously under or overspent on a peanut butter strategy across their, their workforce. So either they're spending too much for certain groups or too little for certain groups. And what happens is that you please nobody. So by going through this, this process, of setting up personas and then reviewing them over time continuously, you optimize your spend and actually come out on the back end with a happier, more satisfied user experience at potentially a lower cost overall. That's the okay. justification for going through this. Yeah, and that makes sense. And so it's it's often used as an example to not do these things because, you know, they're trying to figure out how do you even quantify this? How do you do chargebacks? And it sounds like this is actually a really good way to look at breaking up the cost of 
the IT services so that you can charge back the business units. And it really does help justify what IT does to the rest of the business. I'll lead with my chin in the user SAG personas engagements that I've done. On average, we find 10 to 15% of real cost improvement. And it primarily doesn't come necessarily from the device itself. Where it comes from is the service levels. And remember, we're now dealing with a generational shift into the technical knowledge of the end users. Today's end users are not intimidated by self-help, live chat, FAQ. My generation, if I get Deside support to do as much as they could for me, I'd be happy as I could be. But now we're dealing with a different set of technical competency, which means we can automate and which means we have to automate for modern management, by the way. So right now we're in a very unique cost optimization and that, that leads us into a whole area of innovation that heretofore we used to get hung up on saying, well, it costs money to save money. And, uh, you know, if I'm going to modernize, I got to make all these one time only. Truth be told, it is not onerous and it's something we've been doing as IT informally for years anyway. Yep. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, of course, keeping the end users happy is a big part of this as well. And just to recap from our last episode with the bring your own device conversation, Bruce, what is the cost of the device percentage wise in the overall life cycle of the device? Uh, just to kind of recap for those who may have missed the last episode, because that really does come into play here when I look at my true, true total cost of ownership. Yeah. If you look at TCO, which includes direct and indirect cost. Hardware and software is clearly less than 20% of the overall equation and hardware is becoming less and less and software is increasing actually. So if you're really trying to drive cost out of an organization, you're gonna get that from automation and service levels, not necessarily the, the product piece of the equation. That makes a lot of sense. So speaking of service levels, Cody, let's talk a little bit about the implications to the service desk and how personas can actually be used to get a better view of the health of the fleet based on calls for specific populations or personas and provide that better experience for the end user. Go ahead and walk us through some of that, please. Sure, Leif. And I think one of the big parts is you, you hit on experience. Like we, we talk about measuring experience of the device, but also the experience an end user gets from the support of the device for the IT, IT teams also is highly measurable, right? And so I think there's there's many things to consider. One, you know, it allows you to know the products that your 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 end customer has, um, and so that drives a less complexity for the individuals providing support. Um, it also allows you to kind of personalize the service, since you know the service models and your personas are aligned to to technologies. It allows you to have much uh, stronger competence in, in the in the support center to drive resolution. Um, it also allows you to be highly customer focused, right? And so you shouldn't see a lot of anomalies coming in for, for unique calls because of the knowledge base, the, the personas, the devices, and the application stack. It allows you to really be more hyper-focused on the, that actual end user, provide an in-depth uh, experience for them to get them to resolution. Um, it also allows customers to help themselves, right? And I think it enables the ability to some self-service because of the known use cases that allows them to maybe solve some of their, their problems without having to call the support desk, which can raise customer um, satisfaction. And I think three, it allows, one the, the, the one of the big one is it allows the service desk to actually listen to what's going on. Um, because it, it's a, you, you have a known infrastructure, a known state based on the user that's calling in. And so um, you should know, you know typically what that user is doing and you know, really listen and understand how to get them to quicker resolution. I think those are, those are some considerable factors of driving um, uh, the, 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 the overall support, uh, aspect, 
Um, and then empowerment. I think it, wants, it allows you to empower your end users um, to, to leverage support and it also empowers your, your IT service desk team to, to provide greater support um, in the long run. Yeah, that makes sense. Good. Yeah, good, Bruce. Cody, I've got a I've got a question for you. One one of the things that we know from the work that we've done together is the fastest growing segment of the workforce right now are contractors. And just easy definition, contractors are not FTEs. They're either led by a service contract or they're independent or whatever. Um, and quite often, uh, from a persona standpoint, uh, contractors are the first that looked at virtualization and cloud. Um, you know, that's your expertise, man. So uh, what, what are your counsel there and what are you seeing in the marketplace specifically with contractors? Yeah, so I think one first and foremost, even though they're, they're not FTEs, we, you, they still desire level of experience, right, to get their job done. Um, and so what we're really seeing in that industry, we are seeing some shift to, to, to VDI for those pick users. Um, one, the greatest known area there is for security, of course, keeping the, the data uh, in-house. Um, but I think, too, what we're seeing, Bruce, is simplification of, of the overall um, implementation of what a, what a contract worker gets compared to an FTE. And so uh, what we're seeing broadly right now is, you know, just traditional adoption of what a FTE uses um, with maybe more lockdowns or less access um, to get their job done. Because what that does is it, it simplifies um, some of the capabilities of IT to, to know that, you know, although the, the individual may not be a full-time worker, they should have the same experiences. Um, now, what, what VDI has enabled um, uh, is kind of that ability to uh, extend the edge without additional software, right? Like VPNs and things of that nature. But driving the experience, um, we're seeing it in, in the, both avenues and it really depends on the persona um, and the application stack that you're trying to deliver in that persona um, as well. Good deal. Thanks for that. Yeah. So um, I wanted to call out actually a couple things that you highlighted there around support from IT. This actually allows for a predictable uh, set of responses that you might be able to provide as users talking about the empowerment that you just brought up there, Cody, and self-service. Uh, it makes it a lot easier when you understand what your user population looks like, what their personas are, and what activities those systems may be uh, engaging in. It actually makes you a lot easier to write FAQs or even implement some bot support so that people can have pre-programmed scripts to respond to different incidents that they may encounter during the different personas workdays uh, throughout that. So I just wanted to kind of bring that up as well, because it really does open up not just the end user side, but also the IT ease of implementation long term. I completely agree, Leif. I think you go from a uh, you go from being reactive to proactive, right? You you have predictability, and I think that's a big thing because historically, IT support outside of the known issues kind of floating around the environment, you're kind of reactive to the end user state at that time. Right. Yep. All right. So this, of course, takes us right up to technology refresh as well, uh, because if you understand how your employees are using their systems, you have a better idea of when they need to be refreshed and not just based on some arbitrary timeline or warranty end of life. But instead, what we can actually do is start to looking at providing each persona with the correct system choice for their use case. So it means that we really don't have the Wild West out there where we've got no idea what's being used, but it also means that IT doesn't look like tyrants forcing this one size fits all mentality on this. And Bruce, I know you and I have had a lot of incidents where we get out there in front of customers and talk to them and they say, you know what, it's my IT department, this is how I'm running it and this is what they're gonna get and they're gonna be happy. You wanna jump in on comment on that a little bit? 
Yeah, I'd love to comment that we we often hear is that I build IT infrastructure for everyone, not a particular persona, demographic, or age group, or whatever. Um, and you know, if you can get away with that for a period of time, terrific. Write it as long as you can, but it is not your best set of economics, nor is it your best set of end user experience. In the persona model, it would be very helpful to think about everything lifecycle simply as another service level. So if I'm an end user, tech refresh to me is just another service level. As soon as you give me a new PC, I wanna know what my entitlement is, how many years I'm gonna keep it until I get my next new one. So um, in the white paper, we talk a lot about the uh, precious metal scheme. And if you think about platinum, gold, silver, bronze, and so on, and between each is there's a 10 to 20% delta in the cost to deliver those services. You can then align the personas to the type and style of services that they would prefer as opposed to what we're prepared to provide. And that's one of the tactics and techniques that you could use to drive cost out of the equation and end up with a happier end user base. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. You're right, because if they don't understand what level of service they're going to get, they also start to question, why do I call IT? What's the benefit in it for me? Back to planet me again. Um, But the other side on this, the end users themselves, we really need to start looking at the experience as economics, if I may be so bold, as we talked about uh, as part of the great resignation. Honestly, um, IT leaders that force standards that do not take into account what their end users want may actually be impacting whether or not people stay on a job long term, because if they have to struggle just to get their job done, they're likely not going to have a good time at that job and want to jump sooner. Oh, yeah, we saw this with the Great Resignation, right? People that are finding greener grass over on the other side of the fence, and they have no qualms now to move or leave that then just so they can get their needs met. And there are many, many companies that are looking at personas and implementing them because they're delivering what the users want to make them most productive in the way, or productive, not productive, in the way that they want to be delivered. Yeah. So that that's the key here. That's the core. And, and not only are they realizing, you know, lower indirect cost, increased productivity, increased efficiencies, they're actually seeing that uh, folks are happier and happy, happy users are productive users. Yep. So I am, I'm glad to say, though, that a lot of the IT leaders that, that I speak to are taking into account user experience. A lot of IT leaders have projects going on with end user satisfaction surveys, trying to shape IT around the best experience possible. So don't want to make it sound like everybody's out there trying to lock down their users to a single model, but um, there's a lot of good progress being done on that. And so, Bruce, you talked about some of the service levels. What are some of the other entitlements as a part of these service levels, uh, and how are they established to drive both cost and productivity, cost down, productivity up? The good news is that, as Jeff alluded to and Cody talked about, is modern management is going to take care of a lot of that for us. Um, Deskside support is probably the best example. In the new hybrid model with people working remotely or from their home, Um, you know, autopilot and using uh, the remote wake on land capabilities and using some of the recovery features going to be a standard that you're not going to have to dispatch a tech to a person's home to provide them types of support. That's going to mean the automation is going to be at less cost. It's going to be less disruptive, better service level for the end user. I would use that just as an example. The more you can start to Uh, move to a more automated solution that gets the end user downtime lessened, 
pretty significant. So you can literally go through the bill of materials for life cycle and you can find ways based on the persona to deliver things differently. And then within that user segment, to quote one of our colleagues and mentor, uh, Mike Cummins, then it becomes wash, rinse, repeat. It's a very repeatable solution. Yeah, so Jeff, why don't you actually take us through, if you don't mind, some of those indirect costs that we are looking to reduce by implementing personas effectively. Let's take some examples here. Grab a persona that you see at most organizations and how would it impact the bottom line? Yeah, and one of them, the, one of the classic personas, the generic terms we use is office navigator. And that's somebody that's may have an assigned office space in an office and then would route from room to room to room, going from meeting to meeting to meeting, or potentially even taking that um, working from home is not in a hybrid environment or working remotely in a hotel as he or she is traveling to see uh, customers or, or, or someone else. Um, one of those indirect costs that you see is productivity. And you know, just to be blatantly obvious, if you have that person has a desktop, and then you know, it's it's, an, it's a drain on productivity. In that particular persona, you would have a mobile device, potentially thin and light, with a high long uh, with a long battery life, uh, so that you can accommodate that person's work style, realizing higher productivity and higher efficiency for that particular user. So you get more out of that user by equipping that person with the right device. When you layer on top the right software suite that he or she needs to to, to do to get the job done. And then if there's a problem, the right level of support, and that might be chat or texting, not waiting in a queue on the phone for the next available agent, all that comes together and drives those indirect costs that drive that efficiency productivity. Okay. Yeah. Another example of that, at least at HP, we have our own personas and obviously make up whatever persona names you want out there. But we have one also called our frontline hero. That's someone who would sit at a call center or maybe the front reception area of a building. They are the first person who a lot of your customers engage with over the phone. They are actually a good fit for that desk style, a desktop style system or even a thin client because they need greater uptime. They can't risk going down because they forgot to plug in their notebook or something like that because they are that first point of contact. And actually, Cody, on the thin client side of things, it makes a lot of sense to look at this persona a little bit further, again, for that contractor area as well. So the manageability side behind this, the uptime, what other things should we consider on this uh, persona? So, it, so the biggest thing I think we look at now, I mean, especially talking on the thin client side, is you know unified communications experience, right? I think one of the biggest things we drive is how do we collaborate? Um, how do we collaborate effectively? And I think those are things we have to measure when it comes to like the thin client cloud device type methodology, because historically the the workloads on those devices weren't designed or didn't didn't have that as part of the persona checkbox. And so I think that that's the biggest thing is when you measure that, you know, you want to ensure that no matter what VDI cloud solution and thin device you're using, that it needs to meet the same um, expectations as a normal device. Um, and that is collaboration. Yeah, you're spot on. And what's interesting, Cody, is across all segments, across all personas, one of the things that shows up and some at 100 percent, actually most, is collaboration, according to millennials and Gen Z, is the single most important thing that's uh, uh, you know, appropriate for them, regardless of segment. But you think about there's five domains that we call the needs uh, requirements. It talks about, do I need the most current design? How lightweight is lightweight for me? The difference between somebody who works at home and somebody who hops on a plane. And yes, everybody is going back traveling again. 
Um, that's different. And how do we define mobility and connectivity into wireless nets? How important is performance? Nothing is more challenging for an end user who might need a workstation class machine to have a very robust laptop only to find that they really need the uh, compute time based on a workstation class model, I suppose. And then security or table stakes for all of this stuff. All of this stuff has to be secure and everybody when they get a device just assumes IT's got that covered. So I think you're totally correct, uh, Cody, that collaboration or table stakes, if you're gonna talk about persona, you really do have to know how important is collab uh, to those particular end users and make sure whatever device and service level and software tools you provide meet their requirements uh, beautifully. Yeah, that's a good call out. So it is kind of assumed nowadays collaboration and security are the bare minimum, but it's good to, to make sure that, you know, everybody tis another look to make sure that some persona doesn't require a little something extra. Uh, government employees, for example, uh, dealing with some additional confidential information or higher clearance requirements, there are some additional security requirements there that can be attached to those personas that the average users may not have. Um, in the medical industry, of course, you have, of course, uh, things like HIPAA, you have to watch for what data is being shared by who. And so you need to make sure that the right users have the right level of access in their persona to that data and that others do not. And again, you can take this across standards for any industry and just most industries have these types of requirements around them now. So I'm gonna go around the horn here as we uh, start to wrap this up. Uh, Jeff, any last comments on personas and user seg? Yeah, the biggest thing is that it looks very complex going into it with the right guide and the right patients. You'll actually realize this is a beneficial exercise across your organization that you can use for years and years and years to manage your costs and to deliver the right level of service to your users, the one that they expect. Yep, that sounds great. So, uh, Cody, I'm going to go ahead and go to you next, and Bruce, I'll finish up with you. Yeah, Leif, I think the big thing, we're moving to a world where data analytics and measurable measurability of those is key. And I think one of the big things we get with all the things we talked about today is you can start developing uh, true measurable analytics data and, and really charting that to really see where you have gaps, where you're exceeding, excelling, and maybe falling short. And I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, at the end of the day, data speaks um, uh, miles of how well you're doing. And I think this starts that process of really um, driving to the end of understanding your environment, your end users, the devices, the applications, the operating systems you leverage, and really uh, deriving a, an equation that makes you successful and drives experience for your end users. Yeah, good call out. Actually, it takes us full circle back to the first episode on modern management. Telemetry is king here, and uh, it helps you make those decisions, and personas are just an add-on piece to help you better understand your environment to provide the best experience. Bruce, your go. Yeah, final comment, uh, real simple. I totally agree with uh, Cody's comment. And uh, we have a situation right now that we've only seen every so often in our lifetimes. It's kind of like the perfect storm. I know, I'm no George Clooney, go figure. But think about everything that's happening right now. We're at the, hopefully the end of the pandemic, the hybrid work model's here to stay. You've got to get to modern management. You got to implement Windows 11. You need to reduce your costs. You've got different end user profiles and performance, and you need to automate with modern management. You need a data analytics tool to guide you through that process. And my coaching is all of these projects are interrelated. Most companies right now, they have a Windows 11 team off to the left, a modern management team to the right, an autopilot team over here. 
Um, you may want to consider looking at this journey, as it's called, as a single migration, and all of this is integrated. Don't sub-optimize any of it. Integrate it all, and you will get your best set of economics, and it will be extraordinarily compelling if you do that. Leif, thanks for the opportunity, and thanks, teammates. Yep. Thank you. Great. Thanks for that uh, great discussion, guys, on uh, the process of user seg that leads to the implementation of personas. Hopefully, the listeners out there understand a little bit more why this is such an important process to implement, to provide the right solutions for the right users, in turn, of course, to give the best experience possible. So, as always, there is a corresponding white paper on the CIO.com landing page for the Razor's Edge. So, look there for more details on how to begin the journey and create the personas that best fit into your environment. And I know it's a bit presumptuous for me to lay out a call to action, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, so I'd like to recommend that anyone listening out there who has not implemented personas yet, reach out to someone who is an expert in personas if you haven't started. Uh, it can really help you get the right structure in place for the best experience and system selection, lifecycle management, on and on and on for your environment. And um, actually, we will have uh, my contact information on the CIO.com webpage as well. If you want uh, the four of us to get engaged on this, we could do that also. Just reach out and we can have a further discussion. Or there are other lifecycle management experts out there as well. So please just start looking at this. It'll really help optimize your environment. But thank you again all for listening. On behalf of Bruce, Cody, and Jeff, this is Leif signing off. And we'll talk to you on the next episode of The Razor's Edge. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Razor's Edge podcast series brought to you by CIO.com in partnership with HP. This podcast series is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, or you can subscribe by going to CIO.com slash podcasts slash the Razor's Edge. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated, doing businesses foundry in association with our sponsor, HP.